On this episode, we discuss Santa Claus, the movie. Not to be confused with Santa Claus, the sandwich. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Whoa, rolling right in. It's me, Stuart Wellington. And rolling on over, it's Elliot <laughs> Kalen. And we've got a special guest with us today. That's right. Joining us as he now does every year, I'm going to say, as our holiday Dudley Moore correspondent, <laughs> it's the esteemed and brilliant Alonzo Duralde, film reviews editor at The Wrap, co-author of I'll Be Home for Christmas Movies, and an incredibly prolific podcast host. He'll talk about those more later on. Alonzo, thanks so much for joining us and continuing on the uh, on the Dudley Moore holidays beat. Uh, I'm delighted <laughs> to be back. I, I think this might be the only other Dudley Moore Christmas movie, so I guess goodbye, everybody. <laughs> no, uh, no, we'll, oh, we'll, get him to, we'll get him to make some more. We'll, we'll expand <laughs> your purview a little bit for, oh, for the Ellie, next Oh, I have some bad news for you. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I want Dudley Moore. You're saying I'm going to get Dudley less? <laughs> In a way, from a certain perspective, ten could be conceived yeah, yeah. as a yeah, yeah. I mean, the last, the last, last year's also was a marginally holiday movie since it was really much more about a, a young girl, a, a dying young girl trying to get her mom laid yeah. by Dudley Moore. Yeah. Whereas this mm-hmm. this movie takes on one of the most Christmassy things there is, Santa Claus, and purports <laughs> to be the movie about yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a the well name another one name another that's well that it was so funny because everyone who was asking me about this they're like what movie you're doing this time I go santa claus the movie and they're like yeah with tim allen i'm like no 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 that's the santa claus <laughs> with an e at the end no colon the movie not colon the movie and it's and you have to imagine that for years they were like we got it there's no other santa claus the movie this is the only santa claus movie they were wrong about that there are other santa claus movies I was there, there, there had even been there's like the that classic 1959 Mexican one that they yeah. do on Mystery Science Theater once, Santa Claus. which is just yeah. Santa Claus, but you know, this was <laughs> colon the movie, let it be known throughout the land. You, do you think they did that so that people look walking past the marquees wouldn't think Santa was there making public appearances? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, I mean, we'll get into this, but this is produced by the, the Salkins, Alexander and Ilya, and they had just come off of the great success of Superman the movie. So mm-hmm. I think they, maybe the thought was like, we own those two words. And so when people see the movie, they're going to know it's a Salkin joint. That explains why yeah. they, they sued the makers of Hot Dog the movie. Because <laughs> they're like, exactly. this is How not a Salkin you? film. <laughs> on, this, on this note too, I want to say that this movie, the director uh, also did Supergirl, which we mm-hmm. uh, covered with Glenn Weldon. If you want to mm-hmm. uh, check out <laughs> other uh, podcasts about this director's work. Yeah, Ours. And, and was, <laughs> in another yeah. episode. And was written by, I mean, we'll talk about this podcast as well, but well, we should mention this. This movie was written by David Newman, who had a pretty started amazing- Started off with a bang. <laughs> started off a pretty amazing career until Superman 2, and then it was like all downhill, as far as I could tell yeah. from there. He went from writing Bonnie and Clyde and Bad Company, which is a really good underrated movie, and What's Up, Doc, to writing like- Sheena, Santa Claus, the movie, uh, Moonwalker, which is not really a movie. Like it's it's a it's a video collection with a with and a then thin wraparound. Joined, uh, then he became a postal worker, and he was always bothering Jerry Seinfeld, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's he was so he was so angry about his Hollywood career of crashing that he, and I, he, he yeah. also had a line of salad dressings, but it didn't really quite take off. Yeah, yeah. But they were his own. 
They were nobody else's. They were absolutely his own. He said, I'm tired of having my great screenplays ruined by producers. (laughs) These salad dressings (laughs) won't have any meddling in them. They're my own only. So, Dan, what do we do? He, of course, would put his face on the salad dressing. And sometimes if the salad dressing had, I don't know, like a flavor that was not his, uh, from his culture, it would seem a little bit racist. And you're like, should I buy this or not? (laughs) Am I going to look bad? We'll find out. Is this mustache problematic? (laughs) (laughs) You wanted me to describe the the podcast. Yeah, let's say, what do we do on this podcast other than... This just is, jump into Santa Claus the movie. This is a podcast uh, where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. Uh, I would say, you know, 70 to 80% of the time, a newer bad movie. But often when we have guests, we like to, uh, you know. Uh, do their favorite movie of do, all time. Do their favorite <laughs> movie of all time. Uh, I was going to say, like, you know, follow their passions, their expertise. Um, but uh, Take their passion and make it happen is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so this is, a, this is from the mid-'80s, this one. Um, because, yes, again, it stars Dudley Moore, a man who's no longer with us. So that's, <laughs> yes. that's clue number one yep. in Blue's Clues. About I mean, but it also, it also stars David wow. Huddleston, who is alive and well. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, no, actually, oh, no. sadly, no. Uh, no. Well, has anything happened to John Lithgow? Is he okay? I oh, no, he's fine. Somebody okay, check. He is alive and uh, shit-talking this movie as well he should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? uh, although, I'll just say, he is... I feel like he's he, the one thing he that comes works out. In this movie. I, he comes out of this movie looking good, and I feel like David Huddleston does too. Like yep. he's just he's just Santa Claus, and he's just doing Santa Claus things. And <laughs> oh, in, in the pantheon of screen Santas, like say what you will about this movie, and we're about to for the next hour. But <laughs> David Huddleston is Santaing his heart out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, who you he, may know as the Big Lebowski, the yes. uh, the the angry older Lebowski. Uh, who who yells at Jeff Bridges and uh, throws him out of his office? Really? And such. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. You know, grumpy guys make great Santas. Paul Giamatti in Four Santas, Ed Asner over and over and over again. So mm-hmm. you know, I think the wow. I think the the jolly and the like really coexist in, in the great act. Yeah, it's the it's the yin and yang of Santas. Is the is they're <laughs> equally both gruff and lovable. You, David Halston, mm-hmm. you may remember also from Blazing Saddles. He's the one who says, "Oh, blow it out your ass, Howard." When uh, when <laughs> Howard Johnson says, you know, Nietzsche says that if chaos comes, order. And he says, oh, blow it out your ass, Howard. Anyway, so uh, uh, this this movie, uh, it stars those big name stars. I was just reading right here that uh, there were a lot of bigger name stars that were hoping to land for this movie. But maybe I'll bring that casting possible possibilities up as we get to their roles in the movie. Okay, so the movie begins with the title, hell yeah. And then we have 10 <laughs> minutes of staring at a boring sky uh, with Christmas music <laughs> playing in the background. Uh, eventually it pans down to the planet Earth and we hear a voiceover from a granny introducing uh, kind of the concept of, I feel like the North Pole and like gift giving or some shit. Yeah, yeah well, she's talking about also there's little people who live at the North Pole called Vendigums and almost mm-hmm. instantly when we meet them, they go, we prefer to be called elves. So it's like, so yeah. why are we wasting all this time with Vendigums, Dan? Yeah, and also this, uh, I mean, it's very clear that this comes from uh, people who were involved in the Superman movies. Like, from the beginning, like, this feels like they're like, oh, uh, what's another superhero out in the world? <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> they're like, who's a superhero that we don't have to pay for? Exactly. <laughs> what's a public domain hero? Dracula? Tarzan? We'll look into it. No, Tarzan's yeah, not available right now. But it now. starts in the sky and then launches into an origin story. Yeah, it's also, yeah. also the thing that I that I loved about, about this is knowing that like, so the Salkinds who made this were Jewish, or at least the, mm-hmm. the dad of the two. Was it, so that it's very much like, all right, we're making a Santa Claus movie, not something we have personal experience with. So let's let's figure it out. What's our explanation for this Santa Claus thing? <laughs> yeah. 
So the the granny is uh, the granny looks a little bit like Rosemary Harris uh, is mm. explaining the story to a bunch of bored urchins. Uh, who were sitting around in a big cabin with their parents. Um, and this is like the and, Middle Ages. This is a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, and then uh, like a Santa-like guy shows up uh, on a sleigh pulled by a pair of reindeer, and he gives the kids a bunch of toys that are basically just like little statues that he's carved, and the kids are clearly kind of bummed that it isn't like a Funko <laughs> Pop or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, look, there's all, there's no points of articulation on this. And he's like, mm-hmm. uh, we don't have ball-bearing technology yet. I, don't <laughs> I can't play Animal Crossing on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, they're they're so like, that, well, how collectible is this? Should I keep it in the package? <laughs> <laughs> so this dude, Mr. Klaus, and his gal go on a snowy sleigh ride uh, <laughs> while torturing his reindeer. And then the reindeer collapse, and then they all basically decide that they're going to die, and the snow covers their <laughs> lifeless bodies. Uh, the sleigh will be their headstone, uh, the ground their tomb. Yeah. yeah, this is like seven minutes into the movie, and Sa- and Cla- uh, Santa Claus is essentially dying, so he may be right. reborn, but still. As Yeah, as Christian teaching tells us, Santa uh, died only to be reborn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and later on, he's referred to as the chosen one, which is yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Like this. Well. And heaven knows there's no mention of Jesus in this story, so they could totally sort of mm. merge those two legends well, together <laughs> willy-nilly, as it were. It's they go they go to such lengths to de-religify Christmas, which is a very religious holiday as far as I can tell. And they they like there's no mention of Jesus, and throughout the movie they keep going, All children everywhere love Christmas. On this night, every child in the world will get a toy. I'll visit all of them. And it's like that's not if it, it we know that's not the case like we know we know Santa is pretty hard right on this and is not mm-hmm. interested in giving to to kids outside of his community you know but they okay. but they really want to make it universal everybody loves yes. Santa Claus and it's a universal picture so why not so Santa, his wife, and the reindeer are raised from the dead. Oh, wait, it's a TriStar picture. They, Sorry, they guys. Rise it's a from their oh, so there's no excuse. It was a TriStar, the Trinity. Yeah, the, the TriStar is the father, the son, and Santa. Yeah. And, and also their logo is a flying uh, equestrian animal. So. That's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Pegasus. Yeah. So uh, a bunch of elves show up, and uh, the North Star rises them from the dead, and then Dudley Moore's there, and then they go to a new home that's like a magical workshop mansion. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to describe it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and how much time do you, do you figure, Stuart, they spend just wandering the rooms of this in awe at everything they see? I will say I am impressed. Like, I like a big physical set. Like, yes. I like a big physical set, and in this case, a big physical set filled exclusively with dudes. <laughs> I, I did I, I did make a, I, like, I made a beeline to uh, Wikipedia to see what the budget on this was when I saw, like, the sets of the yeah. North Pole. Because it is, like, yeah, big giant sets of, like, and then later on there's a, they make a fake, uh, like, machine that uh, pumps out toys. It's very, mm-hmm. like... Dr. Susian kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this, this and costs a, some money. There's a lot of elves. Yeah. And they all sleep in one big room like they're in a fucking TikTok house. <laughs> yeah, <I> love- <laughs> and then they, they have like a next door hall that's basically their content creation workshop. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty much, yeah, a, a, an accelerator house. Uh, I just wonder like, what are the closets that Santa's not allowed to open? Like, no, 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 <laughs> just yeah. not, not here. Well, Burgess <laughs> Meredith shows up out of nowhere and we never see him again. So clearly they're keeping him somewhere. <laughs> so, he, so Burgess Meredith is the Old fucking wizard, right? With the crazy two prong beard. With he the two prong like beard that's so long that he has two elves holding the ends of his beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. He's like something out of a like, Shaw Brothers movie. Yeah, yeah, he looks like he should be on the cover well, of a I, chemist album. I briefly was like, so w- wait, is this going to be like 
the previous Santa Claus <laughs> that is like handing the mantle over because he's like bigger than all the other elves and he's got this big beard. But no, he's more of a John the Baptist figure who has like heralded the coming of Santa. Yeah, his yeah. characters listed in this cast list I'm looking at as ancient elf. Yeah. Yeah. And so. he and he and I mean it also it would be weird for him to be giving up this title because as soon as they get there, the elves tell Santa and his wife, uh, Mrs. Claus, uh, that both of you will live forever, a fucking chilling uh, <laughs> yeah. threat, you work, apparently. You work for us now. It looks like we work for you, but you work for us. <laughs> no, the, this whole thing is chilling. I don't understand why he doesn't react to it like a curse because the other thing is, like, uh, he has to deliver toys to all the children, as we know, and they describe that the re the way this happens is, like, the night will just never end for him until he has completed his rounds. Yeah, the, so that so sounds horrifying. These are simple medieval wood carving folk. What <laughs> do they know they from destinies and, and eternities? I mean, the elves could explain to them because of so much, you'll have toys for every child in the world, and that creates so much mass that the gravity well slows time yep. around you. Einstein and ancient yeah. elf could be like, Einstein will prove this someday, but uh, you'll mm -hmm. be up at the North Pole. You won't hear about that. Or has he already proven it? What does time even mean? <laughs> Mean. Who knows? Time um, <laughs> is meaningless to us such as these. Also, Stuart, you mentioned that there's all dudes there made me imagine Mrs. Claus going to the going to the elf doctor with like a menstrual problem. And the elf doctor is like, I don't know. <laughs> this is not something we've ever had to deal with. We all we all we all reproduce through budding. Where a little elf just starts growing on us and then it comes out as a big elf. I don't know. Santa needs all the time he can get because he has to form deep friendships with the only two children in all of Manhattan. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But well, all, like, they, they, I mean, Joe is the only living boy in New York. Now that we <laughs> really. <laughs> the other thing, like time is elastic, uh, I guess, on Christmas for Santa, but all other times, I guess it's passing normally. Yes. So they're working like madmen all year. I, I just kept thinking about how if like, Time was Sitting around drinking for me on Christmas. <laughs> I was going to make the I same would just, joke. Like, <laughs> do my job so slowly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, well, Dan, this is the difference between you and a beloved figure of folklore who lasts in their job for centuries and centuries, making children happy yeah. all over the world. You know, That's I guess true. is they're always striving. They've got that ambition. They got to be the best because, as we learned from this movie, there is competition out there, and they can't rest on their laurels. That's it's impossible. True. They can't even rest on Stan Laurel, which is too bad because he is truly one of the treasures of the cinema. <laughs> such a delight in everything he did. <laughs> so we were introduced to, uh, we previously mentioned that Dudley Moore is in this. He's one of the elves. His name is Patch. Santa kind of gets to know him while Patch is taking care of the reindeer. Now, and I, like to read like this, a, I like to read this as part of the Marvel continuity where Patch is what Wolverine calls himself when he's in Madripoor. Mm -hmm. So perhaps... So perhaps Dudley Moore, when he's not doing a great job as an elf later, it's because he's busy with the X-Men off panel, you know, off screen. Okay, that's cool. And yeah. also immortal. And he's yeah. also, yeah. well, I mean, he's immortal. He's, he, Patch is, he's real, he's a real gearhead, right? He's always trying to build new things. He's a tinkerer. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it. He, Does machines, one might say. Exactly. <laughs> as a mind of metals and gears, we got that shit. The, um, there's a moment where he even, uh, where he's like, here's my schematic for a clock that wakes you up. And then in the next scene, a fucking cuckoo clock wakes all the elves up. It's like, good one, tech bro. Way to sell us our own shit. <laughs> uh, hey, I've got, I've got an idea. I'm going to disrupt bodegas. It's a box that goes in the lobby of, of buildings, and you can put money in it, and items come out. You mean a vending machine? That's your idea? Yeah, yeah. It's a totally new thing. I've changed the world. So, uh... 
we also we get to meet all the other reindeer. They're given names and personalities. They're awesome. It's a uh, little bit of like a getting a team together type shit. Can I, I read some it. of these names? Well, there's Puffy. Yeah, He's why gonna, not? There's Puffy. He's going to turn out to be Patch's kind of big competitor. Uh, but mm. th- uh, there are additional elves named Goober, Groot, Boog, Honka, Voot, mm. and Goobler. So both Goober and Goobler work at the North Pole. <laughs> but also, they're always getting each other's mail. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm also, it's a lot of wood up there, so I'm going to again read that Groot the Elf is Groot from the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Yet another crossover <laughs> between the MCU and the SCCU. That's the same. You're talking about elves and not the reindeer, right? No, the, you know the names of reindeer. It's Donner okay. and Blitzen and, and Dixon and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we then have a montage where the, uh, (laughs) where we see all the elves working. They're like, you know, they're pretty synchronized. They design Santa's suit. They make presents. They use magic and stuff. Uh, it's pretty straightforward, right? But it just takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fun fact, sorry, they do give him a green suit in this movie, which Mm -hmm. Mrs. Claus says, no, no red. Actually, Santa did wear green in folklore forever until the Coca-Cola company decided otherwise. Mm. Wow. So they're kind of touching Mm. on, you know. And we'll get back to Coca-Cola later. And then oh, the roof, boy, howdy, will <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. The, the roof of the uh, workshop opens up, bathing the celebrating elves in blessed guiding moonlight. Hooray. <laughs> uh, then the elves bring forward an old elf. We mentioned this guy before. He Ancient fucking elf. rules. So who this, then t- so <laughs> this, so talking this, about a prophecy. So this role, they, apparently they wanted James Cagney to play it originally, this character of Ancient mm. Elf, but he was too old. He didn't want to, I, I think he had already, he'd already finished his career. He was in ragtime and that was it. Um, and according to Fred Astaire was considered, but then Dudley Moore suggested Burgess Meredith for the role, which is he does a fine job. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, as uh, the more interesting thing is uh, who was going to play the villain of the movie, which we'll get to later. But just a uh, <laughs> this could have been James Cagney's last role, which would have been an Orson Welles in the Transformers movie level, like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. wrong I final. Going out on rag time yeah. was the way to go. Whereas yeah. Burgess <laughs> Meredith lived, you know, another decade, and his final uh, on screen. Film role I looked up was Grumpier Old Men. He did have a voice uh, credit after. And Bruce and Meredith is hilarious in the Grumpy Old Men movies. Like, I'm sorry. I think he's so funny in them. Yeah. And to clarify, he was never in Transformers the movie. No. Right? Okay. Uh, well, that's too bad. Okay, so uh, then I mean, he's in the, the reindeer- Sentinel, which is kind of like Transformers for scary kids, right? Uh, I guess so. He was in uh, Rocky, where a guy sort of transformed himself mm-hmm. uh, okay. into a, a champion. And there's a robot in Rocky Four, but not yes. in the newest. But not a Burgess uh, Meredith in Rocky Four, unfortunately. That's, yeah, mm. guys, can, I know this pump of the brakes too much, but that bumps me out so hard that the robots not in Rocky Four anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, man. he had a, he had a he had a reason for for removing the robot, I guess. But they, uh, other than the fact that it's it's kind of bonkers that that robot just shows up, <laughs> and it's very clearly implied that Polly is having sex with it, and <laughs> that really draws focus away from the from the implication that Rocky is having sex with Apollo, which is the main part, the aspect of the movie. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> okay, so they give the reindeer magic hay, and they start bugging out, and then they fly. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, and while they fly, the centuries roll by. Magic sand flows through the great hourglass at the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Time Stuart, clicks you're over. Making, this movie is so much more beautiful the way you describe it. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we pause this montage to see a fucked up scene where this shitty little kid hurts a cat, and apparently he's the first kid in history to go on the naughty list. Kane is like, sucks to be you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I do think. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, like, this is where it's revealed that uh, Mrs. Claus has a very 
uh, as a, a, a more uh, harsh view of the world, where only <laughs> yeah. only the uh, only the good are are deserving of reward, yeah. and uh, the naughty children uh, fuck well, them. Well, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's a right real there. scold. Yeah, it is yeah. there in the Bible that that Santa comes with a sword. Uh, yeah. he's, he's, he and he is there to to destroy the idols of the of the old world, you know. So, yeah. and that's really Mrs. Claus. She's the Lady Macbeth behind the throne, behind the <laughs> behind the Northern Throne, you know. So, yeah, and, and we the also sequel, she was going to get him to kill God. <laughs> oh, wow! So like out of a Mobius comic strip. So, um, Santa Claus. And meanwhile, Santa's job is getting exponential. Like, even with. Removing the naughty kids, you have to imagine it's getting exponentially harder every year. Yes, as the a lot population. fewer plagues. Oh, mm-hmm. I was, but at the same time, people are buying toys for their own kids, also, right? So maybe it's a little yeah. bit easier if he if he skips a maybe. house here and there. Who's gonna know? You know, are the parents gonna break kayfabe on this? I don't think you know, you're so. You're forgetting, <laughs> you're forgetting that his curse, his endless night, will not end. <laughs> oh, actually, that would be amazing. That's okay. That's the story. That's that should be the story. Is that Santa? There's one kid that he cannot find, and this kid. And he, the night will not end until he delivers the final mm-hmm. toy to that kid, and it's driving Santa mad. For him, uh-huh. this night has gone on for thousands, for millennia. And even though for us, it's been just one night. Oh, and he's been mm-hmm. driven insane. So he's this. He's just. Uh-huh. He's uh, going to houses randomly, and when he, it's not the kid he wants, he just kills them, and he runs yeah. off to the next house. <laughs> yeah. That's a scary. That's the Santa plot Claus of Arthur movie. Christmas, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it is the plot. He yeah. needs. Yeah, he needs. He needs to find this kid so he can platinum life the game. Okay, so uh, we also see how letters matter. Magically arrived to the North Pole, they basically get whisked away by a magical wind that makes them float across uh, the universe mm-hmm. and eventually land through his chimney and don't get burned up. So don't think about that. Um, <laughs> and then we we get a, a little bit of extra stuff, like other data points about Santa get established, like this, you know, the song, and then they like fat shame him a little bit, and that kind of sucks. And there's yeah. a scene where he has to eat like celery instead of soup or whatever he normally <laughs> eats. <laughs> but as you said, like, it's become a bigger job. So he needs a, an assistant. So he does a tryout amongst the elves to see who would be the best assistant. Yeah. One of whom, of course, Patch, our little Saruman of the uh, elves here. And uh, then it's what, the other guys? And they basically Puffy. have a contest. It's, it's, pa- it's Patch yeah. versus Puffy. Yeah. He's pitting them against one another with no extra money for this tryout, this contest phase, see, to get better work out of them. This yeah. This is the way, this is, this is a capitalist scheme. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, wait, I'm. Um, oh, except, my- except the thing is obviously. These are all games being put on by the elves to make Santa Claus think that he has any control over his own life. It's it's kind of a sick experiment that they're running. Eventually, they're going to reveal to him that there are no children and there are no toys. It's all been, you know, (laughs) it's all, it's all been. He's going to wake up in a in an isolation booth, and they're going to be like, "Well, come on out." Yes, we've we've shown the malleability of the human mind Uh, with no agency whatsoever. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So uh, we like. Patch develops like a crazy uh, mechanical assembly line to build toys, but it immediately starts fucking up. But he wins anyway, which is kind of <laughs> well, weird. Well, they don't test the toys. It seems to yeah. notice. Santa just lo- sees a bigger pile of toys, and he's like, uh... I guess, guess it's win, obvious. Yeah. Got to go with the P-Man. And they're like, well, both of our names start with P. I'm Patch and he's Puffy. So which one is the P-Man? 
you are Patch Puffy, <laughs> more like Stuffy, mm-hmm. am I right? And <laughs> yeah. Puffy's like, I don't get that. I don't understand. And everyone's laughing yeah. at him and pointing. He's like, it doesn't make sense. It's not a good insult. And meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. Patch is putting on like, you know, he's sitting with his feet up on Santa Claus's desk. And when Santa's showering, he's like trying on Santa's outfit and stuff like that. He's just biding his time. And Mrs. Claus is making goo goo eyes at him. Oh, it's a, mm. there's just so much, so much sordidness going on behind the scenes of the North Pole, right? And that's why Puffy changed his name to Diddy. So they wouldn't both be <laughs> the P guy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, uh, you just—I mean, luckily we're about forty-five minutes into the movie, so if you're already bored with the stuff going on in the North Pole, let's go to the real world. Don't worry, it's going to turn into a totally different yeah. movie. It is amazing how much of the movie—I mean, it is the Superman model. We're like, we're going to tell the origin of the character. Then we're going to have him growing up as Santa, I guess, and then we're mm-hmm. going to have the plot. But it's yeah. that Superman. I, I sorry, and it, for people who love Christmas out there, I'm sorry. Superman to me is like interesting enough that you're like, oh, where did this guy come from? He can fly? How did he deal with that? Whereas with Santa Claus, it's like, I don't know that anyone really cares where he came well, from also, or anything. Santa recedes into the background and it becomes Patch's movie. And the thing is like, look, here's the thing. We all know how, we all know how, what Santa is. Like, we don't need Santa explained to us origin-wise. Like, this yeah. is something that is like taught to kids at such a young age. We got the Santa idea. We don't need that part of the movie. So we can start with like Elf in the City. That movie's called Elf, starring Will Ferrell. (laughs) One can see how this film could have been successful (laughs) if they just cut off the first half. This movie but. makes you appreciate. I think everything that works about Superman clearly comes from like Richard Donner and Tom Mankiewicz completely rewriting David Newman's script because mm-hmm. apparently David Newman's original script was real jokey and didn't really take things seriously. And you look at Superman and you think, wow, this movie somehow manages to accommodate like Marlon Brando as Jor-El and Ned Beatty as Otis. Those are like two very different <laughs> yeah, tones that somehow fit into this whole thing. Whereas this movie wants you to take in like Santa Claus and the elder elf and blah, blah, blah. And then also John Lithgow, like mm-hmm. acting to the rafters as <clears throat> the evil, evil bad guy. And it's like, oh, you thought, yeah. he, you thought he delivered a big performance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> John Lithgow? But it, it's like not a, but it's also not a jokey movie. Like there's not, there are some jokes. There's one John Lithgow joke that I think is so funny. I had to rewind to watch it again. But other than uh-huh. that, like it's a movie that t- it takes it takes this Santa Claus it takes Santa Claus so seriously. Like it yeah. t- it's it like there are times when it's like there's I mean when when one of the child characters later on is bound and gagged in like the yeah. back room of a warehouse, and I was like, this is too much. This this is too much for a Santa <laughs> Claus speaking movie. Of, <laughs> speaking of child characters, in the modern day on the mean streets of New York City, we meet a plucky young urchin named Joe who's just trying to survive out there. He stands looking through the window of a McDonald's and for like 20 minutes we watch a family <laughs> fucking McNuggets. And, uh, and it's that, like the end of Stella Dallas if it had been at a McDonald's. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and, that, and I'm glad you said urchin because like the kid literally has like yes. smudges on his face like <laughs> yeah. he works in a mill. We're and introduced- fingerless gloves. We're introduced to these two child characters. We'll meet the other one in a moment. And they're both I, – I was like, we saw a yellow taxi cab. So this must be like the present day. But they're both like Victorian characters. And, yeah. they, characters. and you think he's like looking through the window of McDonald's and he's maybe he's just ama- he's just amazed by the fluorescent light. Like he doesn't, yeah, he yeah. doesn't know what he's seeing. But also, yeah, it's like that that uh, that, epi- that uh, issue of From Hell where the doctor is yeah. like traveling through time and seeing the horrors he's, of the future. He sees a modern day office and he's like, you're all dead I, I think, already. I, I can only assume that the movie, like the movie, rightfully knew that Santa Claus Cole in the movie was not a film that could support having a like realistic homeless child in it. And so they're like, oh, let's make him a character out of Oliver. 
Rather yeah. than being like, let's rewrite this so we don't have to deal with the issue of homelessness. I mean, in that's our they also they could have also movie. They, yeah, they, exactly. They also could have had not a homeless character in it. Yeah, but the, the little match boy. Although, uh, really, a movie called Santa Claus the movie can barely sustain Santa Claus for yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Like I, I said, in the second half, he's barely in it. I will say yeah. also, if you if you if you rent Santa Claus's Cole in the movie, uh, which Dan mentioned, that's a very different movie. That's not one. That's you're not going to see this. It's a plot. specialized audience. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much so. Uh, uh, but the I also want to mention that when he looks through the McDonald's, the sound dubbing on the eating in that is so funny. <laughs> it's like it's only a few shots, I guess, and it's like the loudest slurp of a soda. And it's like, is this kid listening? Like, did he bug the room like the conversation style? And he's just listening to, to these eating sounds. Oh, it's so if only funny. the Mac and Me breakdance number had broken out, I think yeah. that would have really, you know. Oh, that would have been so wonderful. uh we're also introduced to a nice rich uh rich girl who lives in a mansion. At, named Cornelia, and she leaves uh, like a plate of food and a frosty old Coke out in the <laughs> snow for mm-hmm. uh, Joe the urchin, who, uh, you know, slurps that down while holding it in the appropriate way so we can see the logo the mm-hmm. whole time. It's, the, it's oh. the old the old can where it says <clears throat> Coke and not Coca-Cola, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this is this was the, the horrible Coke that no one liked of the mid-'80s. Um, you know, the, this was new Coke, but when she puts it down on the ground for him, the I mean, Coke he can't be a chooser. Side, He's literally a beggar. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> Of course, yes. Like if it was an RC, he would just have to take it. Yeah. Uh, but no, oh, she, don't she, even bring up such an idea. Forget. No, no, no. She, it's terrible. She puts she puts the can down Coke side to the camera, and then when he goes to pick it up, it has Coca Cola side to the camera. So not yeah. like so oh. the continuity screwed up, but they're always labeled a camera. Like that yeah. never fails. <laughs> So <clears throat> Santa decides to make an unscheduled stop. It's Christmas uh, Eve, and he's flying around, uh, and he wants to give this street kid Joe a toy. Um, but instead, he like takes him on a late night sleigh ride. It's not weird. Don't be gross, guys. No, it's yeah. totally normal. And then there's it's a lot like the of song reindeer- magic carpet ride. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of reindeer reaction shots. Like every two yeah. seconds, we're seeing oh. them like cover their eyes with <laughs> their ears and shit. <laughs> And this is this when they try to pull off a super duper looper, but the reindeer can't do it. Uh, yeah. I think maybe I I, I kind of I got a little too scared. Center, I also was covering mention. my eyes with my ears. Well, and also, <laughs> speaking of Superman, the the you know like this shares with that long loving shots of just the characters flying. Over it works footage for Miyazaki forever. <laughs> it does like, work for Miyazaki for fucking ever. <laughs> like the thing is, in Superman, you're like, oh yeah, like. I haven't seen this done in a movie before like I this. I will believe like, a man can fly. Yeah, whereas yeah. by the time Santa Claus the movie <laughs> comes around, you're like, oh, God, could you stop with this thing? Dan, I would agree with you except that these old-fashioned process shots are the best thing in the movie to me. Like, and maybe it's just because it, remi- the only, it reminds me of my childhood. I know I saw this movie as a kid, and the only things I really remember are the flying shots, maybe because there's so yeah. much of them. But mm. just give me that three-dimensional object that's clearly been optically printed or whatever into uh, into footage of a skyline and just make yeah. it, get the vectors right so it so it scales properly and I'm there. Uh-huh. And put some a- animated glowy dust all over that. Uh, do it. Yeah. Went great. Oh, so man. The, the glitter, there's more glitter in this movie than in mm-hmm. Mariah Carey's glitter. Like, <laughs> yeah. everything magical, every every kind of, like, transition, whatever, star wipe, glitter, glitter, <laughs> glitter everywhere. Well, it shows you, it shows you that a, a, a not confident filmmaker who's like, how are people going to know this is magic? How are they, they, they going to feel that it's magical? Works for strip clubs. Okay, so uh, a few days after... Wait, those are magic? <laughs> yeah. yeah. A few days after Christmas, the toys that Santa delivered are falling apart in a very funny scene of kids like 
their shit just breaking. I like the kids like thing goes out into the street and a bus runs it over. <laughs> you can't so blame funny. Santa for a thing breaking when a bus runs. And that bus comes yeah. so close to the kid. All yeah, I could yeah. think was like that child almost died, and he's just like, "Oh, yeah. my wagon!" And like, maybe don't play in the street first. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's on you, kid. Now all the world has turned on Santa. People hate him. They're saying it's junk. It's kids start getting into fights trying to defend <laughs> They're Santa. They're beating up the other urchins are beating up Joe because he said Santa's yeah. a good guy. Yeah, uh, the kids in ballet class turn on Cordelia, and there's a pretty wicked slap in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and the gifts are being returned somehow. They just like start <laughs> dumping yeah. through. Uh, th- I'm guessing through the same magic as how he gets his letters. Yeah. Exactly. Um, they start to like draft up like a Twitter post or some shit to apologize. It's pretty weird. Uh, and then Patch has to resign. He uh, he packs his shit. The reindeers cry. And then he bounces. He's out of there. Now, Get him the fuck out of there. I got yeah. a problem. I got a problem. Like clearly Patch's ideas were fundamentally sound. It was just a question of, uh, of you know, quality control. Well, why clearly? Uh, why were they clearly fundamentally sound? M- maintenance. Well, because it worked. It worked. It was working faster, you know. Like yeah, it was faster, ma- but you, they, they got bad toys out of it. Never happened before. But if before. you maintain the machines properly, don't push them, you know, like, Is that like possible? make sure I mean, quality control. Some, I just, would say, I think, some would say if you, pl- pro- if you pro- uh, properly regulate Facebook, it's a force for good. I would say Ellie. no, impossible. <laughs> if you marry Patches Ingenuity <laughs> with an actual OSHA inspector, I think you might have some. I mean, clearly, yeah, if you're they an had... enemy of progress, Elliot. That's what <laughs> I mean. I am. That's true. Get but a it, horse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be. I would love to get a horse. Thank you. Uh, so, but maybe a little one I can carry in my pocket. But Dan, the, I think you're right. If it, well, the problem is Patch did not do a prototype run. To see, I mean, yeah. I guess they did, but then they just shipped those like, out. It right happens away. with Kickstarter all the time, man. You gotta, There's no you gotta QC elf there, like checking yeah. things afterwards. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, so but the there is a over, PC right? elf who's like, oh, we need to hire all these elves. <laughs> uh huh. You would think that the you would think that the movie's over, but no. Cut to a courtroom where John Lithgow is on trial. He is it, no, he's not. Suit. No, he's he's testifying before Congress. He is not on trial. <laughs> he's he's smoking a big fat cigar he's, like he's, he's on a He's testifying album. before the um, Congressional Committee on like toy quality yep. or something like the that. The Dangerous Toy Subcommittee. Oh, the he's, dangerous basically, toy he's basically kind of doing the Dan Aykroyd bit from Saturday Night Live, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. With Bag of Glass and all that stuff, yeah, and uh-huh. Johnny Human Torch. So Johnny this, uh, so this, and his so character this, is BZ. That's his name? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and his, this this role, they, so according to Wikipedia, they wanted a star, they, they liked that Gene Hackman, who was a big star, played Lex Luthor in Superman. So they wanted a star mm-hmm. that big. So they offered the role to Harrison Ford, very would have been a very different performance. <laughs> what? <laughs> then, and then when he turned it down, they offered it to Dustin Hoffman, Burt Reynolds, and Johnny Carson, and all of them turned the part down. And then eventually, uh, they John Lithgow, who was not a big star at the time, they they brought him in apparently after seeing him in Terms of Endearment, which I totally get. He's great in Terms of Endearment. So he's great in basically everything, even yeah. bad stuff. Even bad yeah. stuff, he's still good in. But yeah, it's. But I just imagine how different this role would have been if it was like Johnny Carson playing it or Burt Reynolds or there's mm-hmm. a way to do it, I guess. But or Harrison Harrison Ford's the one I don't I don't believe it. They could work. <laughs> I don't buy Harrison Ford as an evil toy maker. Like I'm no. sorry. <laughs> A gruff toy maker, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Carrie Fisher, yes. Harrison Ford. No. Oh, Carrie yeah, Fisher would have been amazing in this yeah, part. Been yeah, great. yeah. Okay, so but the world wasn't uh, ready for an evil female toy maker. They just they couldn't have it. Yeah. Uh, back in uh, BZ's office, Patch shows Patch shows up, and they start scheming. That's right. Patch wants to get back into Santa's good graces. 
BZ wants to reform his image a little bit, so together they hatch a plan to give away some free shit using magic. Uh, so that, of course, they make Patch being a commercial for BZ Toys, and he looks uncomfortable, but whatever, it's cool. I, <laughs> I, I was a little unclear about... So later on, Dudley Moore delivers all of these toys for free... In a rocket car. In a, In a rocket, rocket car. car. Yeah. That he invented. I'm, yeah. I, w- I, w- like, I wasn't sure why they were advertising an item that was just going to show up. Because they, because like he's doing. Like a do- YouTube album. Because he's doing <laughs> it. For- <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was the worst. I felt so, it was felt so invasive in that YouTube album. Yeah. How, that's, we hated it because we didn't know it was happening. You and know, also, if I don't like. a TV commercial, maybe. And I don't like you too. So yeah, the idea yeah. that if they had offered to me, I would have said, no, thank you. Oh, you don't like us? Sorry, Bono. You're. I guess you're great. I don't. You're not my thing. No, I'm it was sorry. A pun. It was no, a, he means mind. you. No. <laughs> oh no, no. I also don't like YouTube. But uh, at this point, my brand is stuck. You don't like it, so. YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, oh boy, there's just too much stuff that sounds the same. Uh, so the uh, I, they they want the public. Re- they want the PR from it. So he's yeah. putting out this big commercial on every network in the world, saying. Uh-huh. Hey, BZ Toys loves kids so much, we're going to give free toys to everybody. Hey, I know that when you showed my teddy bear in front of the Senate Subcommittee on Dangerous Toys and you opened it up, it was full of glass and nails. But now mm-hmm. I'm giving you free toys. So aren't you – and yeah. it's got magic in it. And it's an edible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not actually a toy we're giving you. <laughs> it's also pivoted to <laughs> It's a magic a lollipop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, a very, it's a very broad definition of toy. And it is funny in the commercial how Patch is super stiff. Like he clearly is not enjoying it. And he's surrounded by like – like uh, rocket type dancers. Yeah. Um, but this is this is around the time I just wanted to highlight. John Lithgow has a line here that I thought was so funny, where he's cracking his knuckles while he walks with his uh, with what was his name Towser, his assistant. Yeah, his yeah. Domo. Yeah, he goes ah, nothing like cracking your knuckles, the pleasantest sound in the world. <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like that's a, yeah, I believe that character would feel that way, but it, there's no plot reason for it. Like it's not a thing he does ever again. It's just. So, one of the things that's great about that commercial is that they, you can tell they've had to figure out a way. How do we dress up a bunch of showgirls in Dudley Moore in colors and costumes that are more garish and tasteless than what the actual elves have been yeah. wearing this entire <laughs> yeah. movie? Because those outfits are an assault on the eyes. Like Santa yeah. and Mrs. Claus wind up in these yellow polka dot ensembles mm-hmm. where you're just like, <gasps> make it stop. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think I could pull off that fit. Well, uh, you so, could anyway. Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what I was fishing for. It's, it's like they're like Elf Law states, no no sleeve can be the same color as another sleeve in the same garment. No <laughs> no one color garments, Elf Law says it's, so. It's from the book mm-hmm. of Elphiticus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't even so, mention all those damn elf puns. When So Dudley Moore's oh, constantly like, yes. you just need a little more elf confidence. Or it's like, oh, well, I've, elf got, control. I've got a lot of elf control. And it's like, God damn it. Like, come on, man. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's my elf image. And later on, he has an, there's an elf portrait. It's like, ugh. Every yeah. time, yeah. You're being alpha-facing. Um, yeah. okay. Today, he would be taking an elfie. <laughs> oh, you know it. Oh, gross. Oh. Uh, so you had mentioned the Rockettes before, of course, so that means that Dudley Moore invents a rocket car to deliver all the presents. Yeah, that's what the rocket is, yep. Sure. Um, <laughs> and uh, the magic shit that he gives all the kids, it's like magic lollipops that make you float or something. Yes. Huge hit. Everybody loves this shit. People are going nuts. Uh, no one Beez- dies. Yeah, no one dies. <laughs> Amazingly. Beez- BZ wants more, that's right, Dudley Moore, to make uh, even more, uh, again, Dudley Moore. Uh, so he, that's uh, Moore's devi- law. You need magic uh-huh. in your lollipops to make you fly. So he devises yeah. a plan for Christmas the sequel, a.k.a. Christmas 2, uh, which I think is a really good idea for March. Back at the North Pole, Santa is fucking 
bumming, dude. He's starting to rethink his life. He's blaming people for not having the Christmas spirit. And I'm like, work on yourself, dude. Or maybe you can just diminish and go live in the West. Who cares? Start with the man in the mirror, Santa. <laughs> yeah. Well, the yeah. fact that he's Turn like, around. he's like, someone likes another toy. I guess I should just quit. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a big baby. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Of, he's a lot. He's very elf entitled, you know. Uh, this is about. Oh, oh boy! Oh. Now, now it's starting. Um, now it's happening. Uh, so yeah, the elves try and <laughs> snap Bobby mutters Dan with a, with hate in his there's heart. A, it, there's a great scene where the elves try and snap Sam out of it by uh, showing him a doll that wets itself, and he's like, "Get that shit out of my face!" <laughs> <laughs> he's like so mad about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Does it fly? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, back in New York City, <laughs> Joe shows. You're old fashioned. We want, so, want new ideas like lollipops that make you fly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Joe shows up at Cornelia's mansion. He's all sick, so she takes him in and lets him get over his fever in the basement. Uh, yeah, he's literally he's lying among trash in the basement, yeah. and this house has roughly four hundred bedrooms. Make him feel, She's got to make him feel comfortable. He's more comfortable around trash. Like, it's like Jason think, Bourne has to sleep on the floor, you know? <laughs> Do you think there was a scene where she, where he was in like a a, a a lavish, luxurious bedroom and he was like, oh, I can't, I just can't get comfortable. Don't you have like a, a flat cardboard box on a hard Do you have a garbage floor? room in this house somewhere? <laughs> the movie, trash in here with me? The movie is really weird about this character. Again, I think to try and cut the sadness of just having this character in the movie because he's always like, no, I don't want to sleep inside, you know, like, like as if it's his been his choice to be out in the street. For <laughs> yeah, this, mm -hmm. like, this he should time. be doing the whatever that number from Oliver and Company is, you know, about yeah. making <laughs> living by his wits or whatever. You know? Why should and, I worry? Yes, and, that's it. <laughs> and we've learned at, by this point that Cornelia is BZ's niece, right, or step niece, uh -huh. step niece. Yeah. Oh, I, it's, yeah, it's, so it's like BZ's in the house with him. We want to make sure that the audience knows that Cornelia doesn't have any any of BZ's tainted evil blood. Uh, <laughs> it's a step-uncle who still takes care of her for some Stop reason. Yeah, yeah, she is such an, she's such an orphan that, like, she step-uncle was the best she could do. <laughs> Everybody else gone. So uh, they're in the basement, and they overhear a secret business talk between BZ and his uh, business manager guy. Towser. Uh, while they drink, uh, do they both drink PBR out of brandy snickers? <laughs> I think it was Miller High Life. Well, no, we'll I think it's I think it's PBR. I think they, oh, really? that, that, that was the just, other just big brand, oh, the other okay. the other the other brand sponsor of this movie besides Coke and McDonald's. Uh, I couldn't tell if he poured you know, himself a cognac or a brandy and poured his manager the PBR, which would be a funnier joke. But I, by the way, this is the, the, this also has the joke that I I you know thought Elliot might have been referring to. He was talking about the knuckle one, but I like when John Lithgow was uh, going, uh-huh, uh-huh. When the guy kept saying yeah. things, like, finally he was like, could you just say more than one sentence at a time so I don't have to stand here saying uh-huh over and yeah. over again? <laughs> so, Towser, we should mention, he's played by uh, multiple Emmy winner Jeffrey Kramer, who uh, you who was in Stewart's favorite movie, Heartbeeps, as Party Butler Robot. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Paul Schrader movie, Heartbeeps? <laughs> yeah, the Paul Schrader movie, Heartbeeps, yeah. Kramer, yeah, he's the one always busting in and shaking his head all funny. Uh, and then he had that horrible stand-up snafu. Okay, so uh, let's see. A lot of misunderstandings there, but I think it's okay, yeah. <laughs> so we find out that... Uh, that the magic candy canes that they tried to mm -hmm. that they're trying to give out that are super powered 
are just a little too volatile and uh, can explode if exposed to heat. Uh-oh, I wonder if that's going to matter. But BZ's like, fuck it, let's just risk it. Who cares? Uh, however, yeah. they find out that the kids overheard this shit, so of course he captures Joe and chains him to a radiator in the basement of the factory. Yeah, they, their plan is literally to, they, he says, we've got all this money in cash, because I guess kids have been paying for the candy canes ahead of time in cash, and yep. they, and uh, he they're going to take the cash and go to Brazil where they'll just live a uh, hedonistic life until their hearts give out and they can't be extradited. Mm-hmm. And uh, let Patch face the music. And, you know, a life sentence in prison will be a, you know, an eternal one. So that's yeah. really kind of a dark irony. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is. Horrifying, really. I mean, eventually the prison will fall down around Patch. He'll <laughs> <laughs> wander the blighted yeah. earth. Yeah, <laughs> when, when, when we, America is but a wasteland. Yeah, sure, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, so, but he, but he's, he believes in rules by that point, so he refuses to leave the grounds of what was once the prison until he oh, no. until his he's cleared by the governor. Yeah. <laughs> so Cornelia writes Santa a letter. It gets whisked away with magic. So it shows up, uh, and Santa's like, "What the fuck? It's January. Who's the greedy kid who needs shit?" And then he reads. It, he's like, "Oh man, Joe needs our help. So let's saddle up these reindeer." And they're like, two of them are sick." And he's like, "I don't give a shit." Uh, <laughs> this goes, so the he, fact that two of them are sick does not really go much. It does anywhere. not matter at all. No. Yeah. Uh, I, but it does have a cute moment where they're sticking a like a curly Q thermometer in a uh, reindeer puppet's mouth. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah, and it lights up. That was, that was adorable. And then he yeah. gives a long speech to the remaining reindeer puppets, which <laughs> I, I was it's like, like you this may die. a special Academy Award <laughs> for doing this. <laughs> for outstanding Santa acting before puppets, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the factory, uh, Joe and Patch have a confrontation. Patch realized that Santa still likes him, so because he finds this like weird statue that Santa whittled of him. It's like again, Funko Pops. Uh, so they decide to bounce back to the North Pole. However, he loads all the explosive candy canes into the trunk of his rocket car, and you're like, uh oh, because he why doesn't does, know they're explosive. And why does he do that? Well, because he's like, if I do this, then Santa won't have to make shit because I already made this shit. We can oh, give it I out see. next year. Kids Cause, love it. Because the whole the whole reason he did this was just to show Santa that he's really good so he'd go back to Santa and get his job yeah. back, right? And they yeah. won't so, melt in the super hot trunk of my rocket car. Exactly. <laughs> so Santa and Cornelia are chasing them in the sleigh trying to warn them uh, of the danger they're in because they don't know that those things are going to explode. Now, uh, back, uh, back at BZ's office – the authorities are closing in on him. They're going to bust his ass. So he chomps a bunch of candy canes to escape, and he flies out the window and eventually flies into outer space. Well, yep, it's yeah. just like Moriarty at the end of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Volume 1. Alan Moore once again stealing from Dudley Moore's work. <laughs> <laughs> he did it before. He'll do it again. Yeah. In the director's cut, he becomes the star child, though, so it's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, he achieves That's... enlightenment once he gets far enough away from Earth. And he goes, oh, why was I, why was I so concerned mm-hmm. with possessions and physical things truly it is the matter of the soul that is the only yep. thing that may, that that should matter at all and he go and he becomes from b to z the beta to the yeah, omega it creates omega. a singularity inside he sees <laughs> he watches himself Canadian die in a hotel Tetsuo room and, yeah he, you know, he goes back friends. in time and becomes the big bang and and uh his and his spirit it tells adam and eve in the garden to make yeah. toys or something i don't know but now and those it's the, the first big zang <laughs> it's the big zang that's what bz yeah. stands for <laughs> yeah so this is all this is all great but meanwhile back in the terrestrial <laughs> realm uh santa is chasing the rocket car 
uh, which is start, they're starting to have some problems here. And say, they're like, there's no way we're going to catch them. They're going to explode. Well, if Bentley Moore, Patch and Joe are hot dogging so much in this rocket car. Yeah. They're just driving without anyone steering. They're covering their eyes. Mm-hmm. It goes on forever. Them just kind of like doing tr- doing tricks in the rocket Dri- car. Drive, yeah. it, drive it like you stole it. There was a part. <laughs> there's a part during this long chase scene where like <laughs> Audrey like had paused the the movie to point out uh, some buildings in the Bronx that she recognized. <laughs> and I'm like, we're 10 minutes away from the end. Why are you stopping? Why? This, so Please. There, is there a feeling, I've never been a professional filmmaker. Guys, what do you think? Is there a feeling that if you have a chase sequence of any kind, it just also functions as padding to get your movie to a certain length? Because it reminds me of the chasing and Howard the Duck where they're on that little plane and it goes on for yeah. so long. And there's yeah. no way anyone watching it was ever like more of this. We're not doing enough of it. It's too entertaining. We need, we need more. Like it feels like it's just a way of just padding out the end of the movie. Or what? I mean, I, I've mentioned it on the show before, but like that's what I read about the Rockford Files that they put a chase in every episode so they could make time. They could either expand or contract it <laughs> as needed. I feel and like I think, yeah, I, like I, Sons of Anarchy did the same shit. <laughs> I think in movies that don't work, you're more likely to cut dialogue than you are anything that uh, resem- remotely resembles action. I guess that makes yeah. sense. just a thought because it, it's like every and now if you and get you sp- and if you get if you get Friedkin in there to direct your sleigh rocket car chase scene. <laughs> I forgot that it's, every an, it's it. an additional sleigh material directed by William Friedkin. That's right. But it's to like live the, and die at the North Pole. There's that chase sequence in The Town, which is otherwise kind of a mediocre movie. And it's like yeah. every time I see a good chase sequence, it like jumps out and hits me in the face. And I wonder like did they think they were making that? Or is it just that most of the chase sequences I see are so lackluster that when I see a good one, I'm like, whoa, what is this? Well, David Duman did co-write What's Up, Doc, which has a great car chase in it. So maybe yeah, he was true. trying to sort of like chase that dragon. That is a really good chase scene, although they ruined some public stairs in San Francisco, <laughs> drying, driving a car over them without permission. So so take that, Elliot Peter Bogdanovich. Pu- public scold. <laughs> I, I just hope someday Peter Bogdanovich will pay for that karmically in some way. I don't know. I don't, and hopefully oh. we'll fit the crime. <laughs> Sorry, Lonzo, is that too much? Considering the wreckage his life became? We just maybe crossed the line, I think, for the first time ever in this podcast. (laughs) So it looks like there's nothing they can do. The sleigh is just not going fast enough. And then Santa turns to Cornel and he's like, we're going to have to do the fucking super duper looper. So which means they go much faster and then they do a loop where they fly under the rocket car they loop over the rocket car, rocket car explodes, and they loop back under and catch them, which is wild. Why do they have to do the whole exactly. loop? Exactly. No, I they, mean, they're just stunting. What's happening? Yeah, they are stunting. I was yelling at the television, <laughs> like, what is this maneuver supposed to be accomplishing? It, it feels less like they're trying to save, like saving Patch and Joe is just a side effect of them, of Santa taking the moment to just front and show that show Santa and uh, show Patch that he's always going to be the best and Patch can There's can't, like a can, special yeah. achievement they need to unlock like I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> yeah, if he's going to get the medal for the level, yeah. It's like when Jane Fonda finally does the backflip at the end of On Golden Pond and so you know <laughs> that she has taken in the lessons. It's you know, it, it has that same identical emotional I get it. So Santa's, <laughs> yeah. Santa's like I, I never can get over the my feelings about my father until until I do the super duper looper. <laughs> exactly. That was that I was I only recently got to see on golden pond for the first time and i was like it just struck me what a what i was like i can't imagine this movie being like as big a hit as it was at the time it's it's so much about like just kind of like upset white people who are doing fine otherwise you know but it was 
I don't know. That was that was that was like the second biggest movie of the year, or something like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny when you go back and you look at the top ten box office of the early '80s movies like Terms of Endearment and On Golden Pond are there. Where now it's like it's all you know Marvel and Fast and the Furious, but like yeah, these sort of adulty dramas that they barely even make anymore were huge theatrical experiences. Were enormous. Well, you had to go to the movies to see that kind of thing. You just couldn't watch well, it on just, TV. Wasn't I mean, yeah, true. I feel like yeah. again, like a lot of that type of stuff has now been relegated to like. Like ten part oh. miniseries and shit. No, absolutely, no question. That's true. You if know, they but, did on uh, Golden Pond now, it would be like at least a six part miniseries, and a lot of it would be told in reverse. Like it would start with <laughs> with a mystery, and then you'd have to go back to find out. You'd be flashbacks to them as as kids and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. oh man, that would be so boring. Uh, Guys, so, you know uh, what? Let's do it. Let's make it. Yeah, let's on, just fuck it. Let's just make on Golden Pond let's the series. Do it, Dan. Let's who do you think? Would, who do you think would play uh, the Catherine Hepburn part? I, why do you think? Why Dan's do you look at me and think that I've seen Because you're the casting director, Dan. It's Catherine Hepburn. Uh, what part do you think it is? It, she was not Blanchett. known for. Okay, p- perfect, great. You mean somebody literally played Catherine Hepburn? Okay, I yeah. didn't remember that until <laughs> after. I was like, oh wait, in the Aviator, she was. Yeah. But I, I think that means that. Uh, I think he's honest. Okay, so yeah, who's playing Henry? Faded. Who's playing Henry Fonda then? Henry Don't say Fonda. Peter Fonda. He's not alive anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, how old is Henry Fonda? And old? He's very Fonda? old. He's very old. Um, like old, old. <laughs> okay, could we? Uh, guy Pierce and old guy makeup. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we did it. Guy <laughs> Pierce and old guy Boom. makeup. Kate Blanchett as Catherine Hepburn, uh, and as the kid, we'll say Timothy Chalamet. Okay, continue, Stuart. <laughs> Let's finish the movie. Uh, so they go back to Santa's workshop. They fucking pop some bottles, throw a party. Rules, right? <laughs> Movie's over. Yeah, they're like, oh, this kid. These kids are going to stay with us forever now. Yeah, and, the, and, and the, the head elf is like, now I have to open a school. And, and, the kids, and there's this look in the kid's face of like, what is happening? Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Maybe Santa thinks all, now that he's, he's found an heir, he's allowed to die now. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, the curse is broken. Yeah. All the other homeless children in the world can go suck an egg, I guess. <laughs> the no, la- they would the love la- to suck an egg, Dan. That's needed sustenance. <laughs> the yeah, last shot of this movie is uh, John Lithgow in space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that is the last yeah. right before his lungs explode. <laughs> 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 they're all <laughs> they're all they're all off. laughing and dancing and the, yeah, the last image is just him floating off to space to die. Like there's no he's not coming back. Yeah. He's going to freeze solid no. and then, you know, Even fr- if he did come back, he would fall to his death. <laughs> if he came back, he would certainly be changed in some way. Yeah, dead. Strange, horrifying. <laughs> oh, and, so, yeah. and, and and be catch fire while re-entering the atmosphere. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's now he's this horrible, melted, gloppy, <laughs> insane creature that uh, is wandering around looking for Santa to get – looking for Patch to get revenge. Because Beezy and Santa never meet each other in the whole no, movie. No. It's just like Heat except without the scene, without Pacino and Robert De Niro <laughs> meeting each other. Yeah. Hello! I'm Pee Wee Herman. You might know me from TV, but I really want to be a DJ. It took some convincing, but KCRW finally agreed to give me an hour on the radio to play you some music with my friends. (laughs) Anyway, tune in for one hour of the bestest, most funnest time you'll ever have on the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour. I am personally inviting you to tune your transistor radio in to hear me or go to kcrw.com. Duh. 
<laughs> It'll be available for the whole week from November 26th to December 3rd. So you can listen to it again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour was produced by Maximum Fun and can be streamed on KCRW.com until December 3rd. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, uh, this show is uh, improbably sponsored by some people, uh, and we'd like to thank them and uh, uh, get their message out to the world. So, Elliot? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. As you heard, uh, Dan seems to have a little bit of a self-esteem issue about the show, doesn't think it's worth supporting. Maybe that's the kind of thing he could talk to somebody at BetterHelp Online Therapy about. Look, let, let, here, let's let's talk about it honestly. Uh we take care of a lot of things in our lives. There's a lot of parts of our life that we do work on so that they stay in healthy working order. Uh, you get your car tuned up. You do exercise to keep your body working right. You eat right because you got to put in good stuff if you want to get good stuff out of it, by which I mean quality fertilizer. Um, <laughs> so going to therapy is a lot like that except it's for your mind and your emotions as opposed to physical things that you can touch and hold and see. Uh, but often – that's more important. The stuff on the outside is not going to work properly if what's happening inside is not to the way that you want it to be. Uh, therapy doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you necessarily, although I'm firm of, th firmly of the belief that there's something wrong with everybody uh, to varying degrees and that therapy is good for everybody. It just means that you are investing in keeping yourself healthy and keeping your emotions and your mind just functioning the way you want them to. So BetterHelp is a way to get it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist. You don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Find the way that is most comfortable for you to talk honestly and openly about yourself, what might be concerning you, what's going on in your life. It can be more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. If I'm being honest, something that keeps me from therapy sometimes is the process of finding the right therapist if I move to a new place or my old therapist is no longer they, – or if they move or retire or something like that. Uh, it's hard to find the right therapist for you and the right match and better help makes that a lot easier. It cuts down on the investment you have to put in to get to the right person. So you invest in everything else in your life. Why are you not investing in your mind? You should be. So we're sponsored by BetterHelp, and Flophouse listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash flop. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash flop. Please take care of yourself. It's going to be helpful. You won't regret it. Thank you. And we've also got a j -j -j Jumbotron. <laughs> Stuart fell off a cliff. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, I'm back, guys. Scary Christmas <laughs> fast. Scary Christmas floppers. Are you a fan of holiday horror films like Black Christmas and Krampus? Then buckle up for <laughs> Red Snow, a ghoul-tied horror comedy now available to pre-order on VOD and DVD. A fan favorite at Arrow Video Fright Fest and winner of the Audience Award at Genre Blast, Red Snow tells the blood-soaked tale of a wannabe vampire romance novelist who comes face-to-face with real-life creatures of the night. 
fans of Commando, i.e. everybody, take note because Vernon Wells is all over this movie. Cool. Red Snow is one you'll want to add to your winter movie scare so visit rednowmovie.com to own it forever. Then it says <laughs> Crypt Keeper Laugh. Oh, wow. So give me Are a Crypt Keeper Laugh. I can't do one. Dueling Crypt Keeper Laughs. Okay, Laughs, is that the plural of Laughs? Laughs, laughs. Yep. Cheers. Uh, horror fans, here's another horror thing for you. Hey, by the time this episode comes out, Maniac of New York, The Bronx is Burning, number one, first issue of the new miniseries volume of my uh, story comic with Andrew Moody from Aftershock Comics is going to be out in stores. That's Maniac of New York, The Bronx is Burning, number one. That's right, Maniac Harry is back, along with all your favorite heroes from the first uh, first series, Zelda, Gina, Lena, that mayor that nobody likes. They're all in this mm-hmm. one, but uh-oh, the Maniac is up in the Bronx, and things are going to get horrifically bloody. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're new to Maniac of New York, the collected edition of the first series, Maniac of New York, Volume 1, The Death Train, is also on store shelves now. So pick it up. It's from Aftershock Comics. Go to your local comic book store and tell them, I want Maniac of New York, The Bronx is Burning, number one, and I want you to order me the rest of the series. It's going to be four issues, four pulse-pounding issues of horror in the uh, crazy Kalen mm-hmm. classic, yep. something that starts with that means like manner or style, but starts with K or mm, C. Characteristic. Uh, yeah, characteristic. Uh, uh, so yeah, go to your go to your <laughs> just local comic store and say, "Make mine Maniac of New York." Oh, that's so much better. Thank you, Stuart, for that. Mm-hmm. Maniac of New York, The Bronx is Burning, number one on store shelves now. All right, well, let's do final judgments, whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like. Uh, I don't know. I, I w- Because I was yelling at the movie to end, <laughs> I think I have to say that it's a bad, bad movie. But also, it is so very strange, <laughs> like this movie. Uh, this Dan, is a, Dan oh. you want to know how much stranger it could be? This is also according to Wikipedia that originally offered the chance to direct the movie, John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. But he also wanted to do the Soundtrack writing and the score. Awesome. Yeah, he wanted to do the score and the final cut they said no. Uh yeah. Well, thank God. Um good good work, John. <laughs> you you got you priced yourself out of it. You have to imagine but, uh, they were like John Carpenter, you want to direct the Santa Claus movie? And he goes, Huh, I can't say no, because maybe they'll ask me to direct a Superman movie. So I'll just say <laughs> yes, but I also want to do the score. And they were like, Okay, yeah. forget it, forget it. <laughs> I I yeah, I it is a one of the more bizarre things that you will see in terms of like a a big blockbuster from the past or would be blockbuster, Uh just a misbegotten project. Like I I would say bad, bad. I didn't really enjoy it. I saw it when I was a kid. I didn't like it when I was a kid either, but (laughs) it is almost worth seeing just because it's so strange is my It's very strange. I was very excited when I saw that Dudley Moore is playing a character named Patch, which I assumed was kind of a reference to the reoccurring scoundrel figure that keeps showing up in the Dark Souls universe games. But in fact, it has nothing to do with it. He is not a weird, bald uh, Spider-Man or normal man who uh, tricks the hero and then you have to get revenge on him. That doesn't happen in this movie. Uh, Or Patch Adams, sadly. Or or Patch Adams. Uh, So I'm going to say bad, bad, I guess. Uh, I'm going to say good, bad, because it is not a good, it's not a good movie, but I got, I feel like it is, um, if you said to someone, hey, they made a movie about Santa Claus, this is both 
what you would imagine and exactly not what you would imagine. It's like <laughs> everything in it is you're watching. You're like, yeah, I guess this is this is what you do if you're making a Santa Claus movie. But everything's just like enough degrees off that it doesn't feel right. <laughs> but it might. But some of that I think is just residual '80s nostalgia on my part. I love John Lithgow's office. I love that it's the '80s, but he, because he's rich, they had the iconography is that he dresses like it's the '30s, complete with those like mud covers over his shoes that people haven't worn since the '30s, and like <laughs> the, it's a. Uh, you know, it's it's and I and I love all old '80s effects. So I'm gonna say good, bad, but only if I guess you're exactly my age and me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like I don't know if this is a category. It's bad, bad, but you have to see it. You know, <laughs> yeah. you just you can't begin True. to describe this thing. You have to look at it and be like, wow, yeah. someone yeah. thought this was a good idea. And again, I, I think it is. If nothing else, like if you want to elevate Superman and Superman Two in your mind, this is what it could have been. You know, I think this movie is exists. It, it's sort. It's like when you watch the. Uh, the, the 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 version of Brazil that the president of Universal actually wanted to yeah. release. It's like, okay, well now we 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 know what you were about. Like this is what the Salkins <laughs> would have done with Superman if other people hadn't stepped in and be like, let's not do it this terrible way and maybe make a good movie. Um so yeah, it's it's bananas. Um I, I had I had never seen this one until I was researching my previous book, uh Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, and I my jaw was on the floor the whole time. I couldn't <laughs> couldn't believe this thing. Yeah, and if you if you're like me and you like going to YouTube to watch the Christmas commercials of your youth, which is oh, a really yeah. great yes. nostalgia fix, um, there are these mid '80s like Kodak commercials that is just footage from this film <laughs> with occasional <laughs> like you know freeze frames as though some elf were taking like disc camera snapshots of each other or whatever. But I'm like, well, okay, got to use that footage. You built that mm -hmm. set, you might as well. Yeah, this this movie it's what you'd call like a grim cartoon. Like it's totally <laughs> unrealistic and childlike, but it also, but it's shot like a, like the eighties movies that still kind of look like seventies movies. So like mm. this kid is a Victorian urchin, but it looks like he lives in a grime and it's disgusting. And like the yeah. buildings all look kind of a little old and run down and like, it, like it's, they, they, uh, they, it's like kind of shot too real, but it also exists in a world where a kid like takes a magic lollipop and suddenly he can float up to the cookie jar and just get waggle his eyebrows <laughs> at his mom like, eh, now I have control of the cookies. I, uh, but you you I could put – sorry. I was just saying I watched this on Peacock and there were commercials in there and I feel like it enhanced the viewing experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could take BZ and put him right into Oliver Stone's Wall Street I think and he would yes. fit right in. He's yeah. got the hair slicked back, the whole thing going on. Well, guys, much like Santa Claus, we get letters. Unlike oh, Santa Claus, uh, yeah, they aren't asking for ponies or Xboxes or. Mm -hmm. yep. yep, that's the, that's the plural of Xbox is is to, to kind of hesitantly say is this at the end. Uh -huh. yeah. Well, I was gonna add a number, but then I was like, I don't know, I'm not sure. <laughs> What the current uh, yeah, is it five? version? Yeah, uh, I don't know what the Xbox is. It's the PlayStation Five. Yeah, oh, but Dan, I guess what you're 5. saying is it's the most letterful time <laughs> of the year. Everyone's mailing the letters, and it's too bad it takes so long for us to get to the letters you sent us. Maybe they'll be relevant to this time of the year, but possibly not this year. It's the most letterful oh, time the of the decade. Hey, remember the 90s when people started emailing <laughs> letters fell low, but now they're back. Letters are back 
on the show. It's the most letterful time <laughs> of going. the eon. Dinosaurs didn't send so many letters those days, and neither did mollusks. But in this time, geologically speaking, this blink Ugh. of an eye in the face of the cosmos, it's the most letterful time there's ever been. I guess the invention of writing was really what made it, this, it possible for this to be the most letterful time of the eon, right? Yeah. Um, yep. So <laughs> uh, this letter goes like this. Don't um, ever change, Elliot. Oh, thanks. I can't. It's impossible. I've tried. <laughs> following... Following in the tradition of generations of Jews before her, mm -hmm. my daughter is entertaining the goyim during the Christmas season. In particular, she is performing in a local production of A Christmas Carol. She's never seen any of the movie adaptations. Which one do you recommend? Flop, bless us, everyone. Stage mom, last name withheld. I assume that we'll probably have a similar Scrooge, but the Scrooge. Oh, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna say the Alistair Sim one is kind of generally accepted to be the best one. But if your daughter, you're, you're is gonna of say an the age, Muppet Christmas Carol, huh? Well, yeah. If if, if I'm saying if this, uh, if she's of an age that she does not like to watch old movies. I mean, I liked old movies as a kid, but a lot of kids don't. Um, I mean, Muppet kids Christmas love Carol kids love probably... Alistair Sim is also part of it. <laughs> <laughs> they love Green for Danger. <laughs> they yeah. love all that stuff. School yeah. for Scoundrels. What yeah. were you saying, Stuart? <laughs> Scrooged. Scrooged with Bill Murray Scrooged and Carol Kane. And... Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the best one. It's got monsters in it. <laughs> I mean, they all kind I'm of have monsters. In they all have ghosts. Yeah, but this one, has, this one has uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Buster Poindexter. What's his name? Yeah, yeah. Buster yes. Poindexter. Yeah, from uh, from David the Dolls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Double thumbs up. I don't know what your problem is. Um, <laughs> any other uh, suggestions? I mean, uh, I mean, uh, what going to say, Alonzo? No, you, Alonzo, you're the you are you're you literally the, the book. you wrote the book on Christmas <laughs> movies. So, uh, I mean, Dan is right. The Alistair version, I think, for the, for the most part, is pretty much everybody's favorite and, and is considered to be one of the best ones. But if you're looking for a more recent one than that, uh, although obviously for for anybody younger than me, this is an old movie. The 1984 made-for-TV version with George C. Scott is pretty mm. great. Uh, he's a really good Scrooge, and it pretty much covers most of the bases from the, the original story. And I'm personally a fan of the 1970 Scrooge with um, Albert Finney. It's a musical version. Songs actually uh, written by, and screenplay written by Leslie Brickus, who co-wrote the terrible songs in Santa Claus the movie. Oh. But don't, don't, don't hold that against Scrooge. Uh, and it's going to be on Criterion Channel in December. Uh, oh. But yeah, I think those are those are probably my my favorite ones. I'm trying to think of like a, a recent-ish one that is pretty true. I mean, you could do the Patrick Stewart one from the late 90s, I guess, but it's yeah. a little it's a little dark. I didn't see that FX one. I, I tried a couple times and it's just too much for me. And I, I've heard people find it to be excessively grim. Yeah. The uh, the guy P guy Pearson old man makeup to bring it back to that hell yeah it's the only way he does it now <laughs> he only he only appears in old man makeup or having sex with Kate Winslet that's the only way he appears in things now mm -hmm. so yeah <laughs> and that was a show where he got to play his actual age I thought that was pretty cool yeah, that, yeah. I mean because usually we, he wears old age makeup and all of this stuff uh -huh. yeah yep they they sure. let him pull off all that makeup they <laughs> deletofied him <laughs> yeah. uh, I the it's I wonder my kids so. I think sometimes about how different my kids' media viewing habits is than mine was. Mine, uh, where it, we live in a streaming world, they can watch whatever show they want whenever they want, and they're not at the mercies of network scheduling. So when I was a kid, 
even as a Jewish kid, it was like I was bombarded with so much Christmas stuff. And I felt like every sitcom did their version of A Christmas Carol. And yes. it, it was either A Christmas Carol or It's a Wonderful Life. Every sitcom did their version of that. And I wonder if – I don't think my kids by – their, by their age, I think I had seen – 400,000 adaptations of A Christmas Carol, and I don't think they've seen anything, any. Maybe they've seen a Muppet Christmas Carol, but the uh, I might have to introduce it to him because even though I don't care for Christmas, it's got lots of ghosts in it. Do you ever have to write, like, letters to Santa Claus in school and shit? Not in school. Uh, the, okay. The, the closest I can think of is that was that in preschool – it was around Easter time, they were, there was a thing where everyone was supposed to like color in pictures of Easter baskets with different eggs. And they were like, oh, well, you're Jewish, sucks. so we'll find something else for you to color in. And I was like, <laughs> uh, but I can like color eggs. Like I don't – it's not – I mean we have eggs. Nope. So we just – I would celebrate <laughs> Easter, but Jews do have eggs, you know, but – How uh, else would you make a blintz? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. But, uh, yeah, but I feel like there was such a – you could not escape Christmas. Uh, when we were yeah. younger, whereas now I feel like it's – because of the way media has fractured, it's very escapable. You know, mm-hmm. mm, interesting. Interesting. Well, let's go to this uncontroversial next letter titled Elliot Kalen doesn't know anything about Star Wars. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> oh, All right. Let's sick him. burn. That is a, this, the sickest burn. Oh, man. Well, let's. Dearest floppers, I've enjoyed your show for many years and it's been a real pleasure to listen to the three friends chatter, chat about nonsense while I clean the house. I almost wrote in once before when Stuart explained the entirety of the Saw franchise for obvious reasons. <laughs> See my full name below. Let's look at uh, mm, Jigsaw, I, I, last I, name of hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Jigsaw uh, McGraw, you know. Jigsaw. Yeah. As a side note, I think there was an actual moment in that one where Stuart can remember the name of the character Mark Hoffman, which is insane on several levels. I don't, I don't know why that's insane. I don't know, man. Um, blah 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 blah. Let's uh, okay. Here's the main meat of the uh, yeah. Let's do it. Argument. <laughs> let's see. So if I didn't write in then, why would I write in now? Because Good of question. my shock on hearing the most recent episode of the Flop House, episode three five six, the very excellent Mister Dundee. To find that Elliot Kalen, who has claimed to uh, know about Star Wars, appears to have only been faking it the whole time. Memorizing fourth-tier character names does not count as knowledge, Elliot. That's just trivia. Imagine so what is my, it? What is what is the thing that I what is the thing I got wrong about Star Wars? Keeping in mind, my, I have so many things I have to keep on my mind these days. Imagine my shock when Elliot stated that Darth Vader was wasting his time chasing Princess Leia through her spaceship when he had just blow, blown her up. Why did he do it, Elliot? To find out the location of the rebel base. That is the whole point of one of the most famous scenes of the movie where Grand Moff Tarkin forces the confession out of her by threatening to blow up Alderaan. Mm -hmm. If he had just killed her, he would not have gotten that vital piece of information. If that's not enough, later in the same episode, Elliot claims that the movie takes place over the course of a few days. Elliot, how long do you think it takes to travel from one planet to another? As a rule, in Star Wars, the Millennium Falcon is considered the fastest known ship, but even the Falcon going at top speed would take a few days to make from, from Tatooine to Alderaan. More importantly, the Death Star there's itself no, there's, is much- There's literally nothing in the movie to, su- to support that reading. There's <laughs> uh-huh. nothing in the movie to support the reading, and it takes them more than a, than a day to get there. More- we're literally continuing the conversation that they had at the beginning. Like <laughs> more importantly, the Death I Star think. itself is much slower. It only has a class four hyperdrive compared compared to the Millennium Falcon's class 0.5. That's all explained in movie. <laughs> For practical purposes. 
This means that even if the distance between the shattered remains of Alderaan and Yavin are the same as Alderaan and Tatooine, uh-huh. and it only took the Falcon a few days to get there, it would have taken the Death Star eight times as long. And they would have uh, been able to only start traveling once the signal from the tracking be- beacon made it back to the Death Star. An unknown duration of time. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll say this. Maybe I got thrown off by the fact that everyone only has one set of clothes to the point that when Han Solo <laughs> returns as an old man, he is wearing the same outfit that he wore in this movie. But there's no, there are, there's no evidence on screen to make us believe that time has passed. This is a movie that very judicial, that very clearly uses wipes to suggest the passage of time and does not really do that so much in those scenes. But also, when when Darth Vader's going after Princess Leia. They're just trying to get the plans to the Death Star. Why do they care? They don't care. The only reason they care about the Rebel base is because it's got the de- they've got the Death Star plans, right? Uh, Maybe not. Uh, actually. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, but also, I, I kind of stopped paying attention. Oh, well, this like. Look, this is signed Mark but, Total bad, no, but, Badass, last name with house. Oh, so. I guess sense, tr- but it is, <laughs> but I guess it is true that it is true that uh, Princess Leia, being the only other, the only rebel who leaves home to go do anything, which they would have to ask her where the base is because there's no other rebels in the universe that we see. So, I just want to go on the record and be, say mm-hmm. very clearly that I don't know anything about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I don't know, wa- why, I don't know why you would make that choice. You could get into arguments like this. About, anybody about how wants long to come takes. at me? You're right. <laughs> I don't know anything. About how long it takes for a fictional spaceship to get from one fictional planet to another <laughs> fictional planet, especially when we've been shown in the movie that that spaceship has the ability to jump through hyperdrive into from one planet to another very easily. So yeah. But anyway, uh, he man. makes a good point. I don't know anything about Star Wars. I don't know why Elliot's getting so fucking defensive here. I actually yeah. don't know why Take either. your lumps. That's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> I just got to do it. I just got to take those lumps. That's Suck true. Suck it up, dude. I think, I think what it is is that this lumps is – Lumps are it, delicious. What it shows me is there is nothing I will ever have a complete enough command of that someone will not be able to be like, oh, uh, what about this thing? And I'll be like, uh, ugh, yeah. I didn't think I cared about this, but now suddenly I do. Can they yeah. break down the whole uh, licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop controversy? Because I really need some answers there. Well, the oh, thing well, is, right in. <laughs> there's no ev- it's not within the canon commercial. But if you read the novelizations, you see <laughs> that there's a, lo- there's a lot more going on with the licks. That in, in owl cultures, a bite counts mm-hmm. as a lick. So, but it's, ah. an e- it's a special extra lick you get after the third lick, which doesn't count as a lick. Anyway, that's just Who did owl that novelization? Culture. Was it R.A. Salvatore? It was Alan Dean Foster, and he's still arguing oh, okay. with Disney about, about getting royalty <laughs> yeah. payments for it, which is disgusting on their part. Uh, so, so Dan, any other, any other letters yeah. challenging me on, on the biggest nonsense possible? No, no. No more nonsense letters. Um, so let's close up the mailbag. And you know what? I rescind uh, my song. Forget it. I, I, I'm, I'm oh rescinding no. my song. Brother. It's no longer the most letterful time of the eon or a year. Forget it. Um. Hey, let's recommend some movies that Hell you might yeah. want to watch instead of this uh, piece of garbage. And <laughs> no, it's got its moments. Um, <laughs> no, Dan, don't worry. You don't have to defend. You don't. You don't have to soft pedal about. I suddenly, I suddenly just felt bad for John Lithgow. Well, you know who was. Don't be. He just, got paid for it. He's yeah. he's doing he's doing fine. If this was his last um, role, but he's had he's had a long career. He does all sorts of stuff. He says when he goes to England, this is the movie that people tell him they love him in. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, go figure. I imagine that's mm. why he he played Winston Churchill on The Crown. I mean, was he was like, I am going to make England think of other things about me. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, he's giving a panto performance. I think that's the best defense you can do for what he's doing here. Yeah. 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 
I think he is uh, giving. I give. He's. I think he's giving exactly the performance that a movie called Santa Claus the Movie is is calling for, <laughs> and it's and it's villain. You know. I would like to recommend. Uh, uh, a couple of days ago, I left the house. I went out. I saw Licorice Pizza, the new Pete Ooh, Anderson delicious. movie. Um, it is. Uh, I, I. It's a movie that is, v- despite being in many ways the simplest story very hard to describe <laughs> like it it is filled with loosely connected incidents and it is mostly dependent on mood um and it feels totally unpredictable while not doing anything particularly crazy at any point but it just feels organic it's a nice vibe to hang out in um i don't know it's a movie that kind of is like made me think like, oh yeah, movies can be like this. They can do this thing too. Um, and I enjoy, it. I mean, there, uh, it has depictions of, uh, like racism and it has like, yeah. uh, romance, uh, kind of between, uh, a 15 year old boy and a 25 year old woman, but not really like a, full-fledged romance but like keep rationalizing I, no i'm I just think, i think I, you're on, I, I just want to highlight base, these things in case these are things that pe- that viewers are ah, sensitive to okay um but i i don't think that the movie is i, I don't know the movie's great <laughs> okay i just want to make sure that people uh, are informed if they yeah uh if, if that's something that would bother them but um i i really loved it can't wait to see it i'm gonna recommend Two quick reviews uh, that you can find at your local video store. Just go to the blank of the blank section. The first one is <laughs> Blade of the Immortal. It is the somewhat recent uh, live-action adaptation of the popular manga directed by the one, the only, Takeshi Miege. Hell yeah, baby. Uh, and it is like two and a half hours long, but it feels like it goes super fast. Uh, I read the comics like back in like high school and I loved them and it was kind of fun uh, remembering those and seeing how well like elements from those stories were all kind of crammed together in this movie. And of course, Takeshi Miike found like the wackiest, creepiest characters from the book and made sure that they looked exactly like that in the, in the movie. <laughs> uh, and it's got a great score. It's, it's just great. I, re- I highly recommend it if you like uh, samurai stuff. Um, and the other movie I'm going to recommend is Climate of the Hunter uh, from director Mickey Reese. It is this little micro-budget uh, thriller uh, about two women who are living at a, like a vacation property uh, and they are their sisters and they're catching up and they are catching up with an old friend and there's a lot of tension and there's uh, a feeling that somebody could be a vampire. Uh-oh. Uh, but the costumes are great and the performances are all really fun and it's nice and short. Climate of the Hunter, thumbs up. You can also get sort of the valiant out of that section, but yeah, we wouldn't necessarily recommend that. Uh-huh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and Land of the Lost. <laughs> I'm blurbed on the back of the DVD of Land of the Lost. Wow, what did you say? What did they blurb you? I, I don't even remember. It was like, it was the most sort of like, it's kind of fun. Like it, it was not a rave <laughs> review, but apparently they were so desperate for anybody to say anything positive. They're like, they got to me somehow. Oh, so it's one of these like, just fun in quotes. <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah. It's a very, very it's short. Dot, there's dot, no, dot, 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 <laughs> fun. No, there's no verb in there if I recall correctly. <laughs> 
I'm recommending, I think uh, there might be a, possibly a theme to what Alonzo and I are going to recommend possibly if uh, we had talked about it earlier somewhat. Uh, we're recording this just a few days after the death of Stephen Sondheim, who you're probably familiar with. If you're not, then it's uh, then you have a real treat in store for you in looking at his work. It's hard to think of someone who's involved in the American theater and especially the American musical theater who was like more – amazing in the breadth and quality of his work and more important, especially in the, the second half of the 20th century. Uh, and so I wanted to recommend uh, a very short movie because uh, it was meant to be the pilot for a TV series that never happened that's on Criterion Channel right now, which is called Original Cast Album Company, where it's directed by D.A. Pennebaker. And you know what that means? It's a documentary with no voiceover, and you just got to watch the footage and figure out how it goes together. He's a real puzzle master. That's why they used to call him Puzzle Master Penny Baker. And uh, <laughs> he, also, he also used to sell rolls for a penny, which is also why they call him D.A. Mm-hmm. Penny Baker. Um, and he never knew the answers to anything. That's why they call him Don't Ask Penny Baker. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> it's, uh, he took his uh, camera crew in to watch – the recording of the original cast album for the show Company, which is one of Stephen Sondheim's big shows, and very much one of the one of the first musicals to be about like uh, real unhappy things that people go through, and uh, it's just really amazing to watch people watch the performers having to perform these songs full tilt in a room with no audience because it's a recording studio, and over and over again until the takes are. A, a good enough to be on. They keep saying this is the permanent record. This is the permanent record. This has got to be the best take you can do of it. And uh, and the the highlight being um, watching Elaine Stritch, who is dressed like Mr. B. Natural from the Mystery Science Theater short, Mr. B. Natural, uh, struggling and then finally nailing uh, one of the songs in it. And seeing what's amazing in it to me, watching it this time because I was just rewatching it last night, is – Seeing Stephen Sondheim, who for decade, my entire life has been basically like the old man of American musical theater and like an institution, seeing him when he was trying something new and was still somewhat not more – still somewhat the young guy who had written the lyrics for West Side Story and Gypsy not too long before and was now very uh, – and is very adamant with the performers about how he wants it done because this is his career and this is what he's trying to do and who knows if it's going to work or not. So seeing this guy who – uh, is now you know an institution at a time when he was still uh, not struggling necessarily, but creatively pushing uh, was really interesting, inspiring to me. So that's original cast album company. And if that documentary sounds vaguely familiar to you, because maybe you saw the documentary now parody version, oh, which was right. original cast album co-op, if you buy the Blu-ray that Criterion has put out of this movie, it includes the Whoa. documentary now yeah. episode and an interview with all the people who wrote and performed that, and uh, a new interview from the last within the last year or two with Sondheim himself. So, uh, I'm, as always, I'm I'm out to push the physical media. Like it's it's worth hanging on to yeah. mm-hmm. if you're a fan of this stuff because it's got a lot of goodies. Uh, and yeah, mine is also Sondheim related and is also relatively new on Blu-ray. Uh, Warner Archive Collection just put out The Last of Sheila, um, which, you know, Sondheim's career, obviously, as a, as a genius in the musical theater, unparalleled. But he also uh, really loves sort of puzzles and kind of, you know, uh, uh, would, would put together these really elaborate sort of scavenger hunts and games at parties for friends. And he and Anthony Perkins wrote this incredible mystery about 
a group of Hollywood types, a producer, a director, a writer, uh, the writer's rich wife, uh, a starlet, her um, volatile husband, and an agent who all uh, spend a vacation on the producer's yacht in the Riviera. Uh, They were all present when the producer's wife, Sheila, died one year earlier, and the producer has set up these very complicated games that he thinks is maybe going to sort of suss out who the actual killer is, and then things go in a totally off-the-rails direction, but it is funny and um, really like wonderfully complex and complicated the way a good sort of mystery puzzle game is. And it's the kind of movie where, frankly, you'll forget between viewings who the killer even is. And so it's all fun to watch over again. But the performances are great. It's like James Coburn and James Mason and Diane Cannon doing basically a Sue Menger's impersonation, if you know who she was, Hollywood super agent of the 70s, who's a riot. Richard Benjamin, Raquel Welch, Ian McShane, Joan Hackett. Um, One of my favorite movies, a movie that Ryan Johnson has talked a lot about as being one of the inspirations for Knives Out, and uh, you can now get it on Blu-ray, and you should, The Last of Sheila. That did you you posted a picture like a, a caricature of all those characters? Yeah, uh, Al Hirschfeld did it when yeah. the movie came out, and I had never seen that caricature until oh, after great. Sondheim died. And I was like, oh my god, because it's one of my favorite movies, and it somehow I'd never seen that photo before. The uh, there's a the, one of the first challenges in that that he sets before one of the first puzzles I find so stressful, and I kept watching that movie. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, if if this puzzle was set before me, and I think it's the first one, maybe I would have just been like, forget it, I can't do this. I'm just gonna hang <laughs> out, out on the boat. <laughs> Like I can't. <laughs> this is too. This is too complicated for me. But yeah, it's a super fun movie. Uh, well, speaking of super fun movies, uh-huh. not this one, but we had a super fun guest. How about that for a segue? <laughs> wow! Oh, hell yeah! Wow! You were <laughs> the king. Was, oh wow! Segue. Yeah. Uh, Alonso, do, do you have anything you want to plug? He just takes your hand <laughs> and walks I, you I, to I, where I, he call wants him, you to call go. Call him Dean yeah. Kamen because he, he is <laughs> inventing the segue. I, I need I, yeah, I need to plug Dan McCoy's famous podcaster school, or I can <laughs> you know learn moves like that. Uh, well, we yeah. well, we've certainly gone from A to Z, and A is also the letter that starts our guest name. <laughs> A to BZ. Um, Yes, I I have a new book out, as Elliot mentioned at the top of the show. I'll be home for Christmas movies. I co-wrote it with the very funny guys over at the Deck the Hallmark podcast. It's got reviews of more than 100 uh, Hallmark Christmas movies, but from the point of view of three guys who one of them loves them, one of them likes them, and one of them despises them. So however you feel about those films, somebody in the book will have your back. Um, Also, recipes on how to throw your own uh, Hallmark Christmas party, uh, bingo cards, a lot of other fun stuff. I was, I'm really proud of it and happy with how it came out. I think it's a great gift if you have somebody in your life who's super into Hallmark stuff or likes to dunk on Hallmark movies. I think they'd get a kick out of it. Um, and then I also wrote a book a while back that you can still get called uh, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, which is a guidebook to more films uh, like Santa Claus the movie, <laughs> but also <laughs> everything everything from you know Elf to Eyes Wide Shut in terms of, of films that are set at Christmas that deal with Christmas. And uh, so that's still out there in the world. And then, yeah, I, I write for The Wrap. I'm the film reviews editor there. And I have uh, uh, quite a few podcasts, uh, Linoleum Knife with my husband, Dave White, uh, here on the Maximum Fun Network. You can hear me on Maximum Film with Ify Wadaway, Andrea Clark, and of course, Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire and Matt Atchity. If you used to listen to me on a show called um, What the Flick, we're now doing it under the name Breakfast All Day, so please check us out there. 
And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, always delighted to be on the show. Longtime fan, and uh, y'all are always just a blast to hang out with. Oh, thanks. Well, it's you're always a great guest. We'll have love having you. Those are all great podcasts that I would say you should check out. I'm a particular fan of Linoleum Knife. That's a favorite of mine. Um, this is yeah. uh, this is a new. This is one of our newer traditions, and I'm a big fan of it. Thank you for coming. <laughs> we just out. Got, yeah. we just hope Dudley Moore comes out with a Christmas movie next Jeez. year, so we fingers can, crossed fingers or crossed. L times through. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, while we are, uh, uh, thanking folks, uh, let's thank, uh, Alex Smith. Oh, look, 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 at, thank, got it. look at Frankenstein's monster over here. Just with the, with the segues. Yeah. Alex sure. Smith, uh, <laughs> our producer. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you for all the work you do. Uh, especially, uh, last week we did a mini, uh, where Stu, uh, ran us through a role-playing game where we're cartoon dogs and Alex... <laughs> Went above and beyond. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, sound effects and music and a, and a new, bone new and for it. the theme song. Um, thank you to Maximum Fun. Uh, they have uh, one of Alonzo's uh, shows. They've got uh, a bunch of other great shows. Go over to MaximumFun.org to check them out. But uh, now for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I'm still Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. Oh, and I'm Alonzo Duraldi. Yes. <laughs> Bye. I guess uh, I'll just do the intro. Why not? Sure. I don't, unless, <laughs> does I, I guess, does anyone, does any, unless anyone here objects, like, <laughs> speak now or forever hold your peace? Yeah. Okay. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.